You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. You're listening to The Noble and Roosh Show, brought to you by Ball Is Life and Dash Radio. Welcome to another episode of The Noble and Roosh Show, hosted by Ball Is Life. I'm your host, Roosh Williams, with my co-host, Zach Noble. And today, we got Jared Greenberg in the building. Jared, how you doing? Doing great, fellas. Good to be back with you talking hoops again. And uh, crazy to think that we're, we're almost at the halfway point of the season already. No, it doesn't feel like it at all. No. Um, it feels like the season's still getting started, you know, it's kind of, well, it feels like a big blur for me. You know, I think we're all like kind of creatures of habit and, you know, to have, I was in the bubble during, uh, you know, for three straight months and and that just felt like a blur. Can't believe that that was as long ago as it was. And then just rolled right into the next season. It almost feels like that was part of this season. And last season was like its own, like individual Island of of weirdness <laughs> yeah it's like it's like it's like basketball island dude it makes no sense even in retrospect when you look yeah. back on it like zach and i have talked about this um teams like the heat right you wonder was that a product of that weird experience and like should yeah. we go do like a retroactive case study on what the hell that whole thing was you know <laughs> well well i was saying the whole time i was in the in the bubble that it felt like a social experiment the whole thing and i felt like you know i was gonna find out and 30 years from now, they were doing studies on me that I never knew was happening in real time. Right. Like, like, you know, that whole thing about twins being adopted or, or, you know, separated into different uh, families and then how they adapted to different lives uh, afterwards. I don't know. <laughs> it's just weirdness. And yeah, yeah. Like the, the whole heat thing, I not, not to go off on a tangent about it, but, but you, you picked up on little things while being in the bubble. And one of the little things that we were wondering if we were overanalyzing. And now I wonder if we weren't paying enough attention to was just like how much those dudes liked each other in the bubble. And, and, and listen, you still have to have talent. You still have to go out and play good basketball and things still have to go your way. But there were other teams, not to say that dudes were like fighting with each other in the hallways or out on the, like the pickleball court, but (laughs) there were other teams that weren't as close and probably didn't enjoy being around each other 24 seven as much as the Miami Heat didn't for that, for that matter, the Lakers too. Yeah. Um, so, you, yeah, I mean, you know, you just wonder how much all that stuff matters. Zach, I'm going to let you jump in, but I just want to say, I agree with you because there's a, there's a rhythm chemistry component to basketball that I think got magnified in the bubble, right? Yeah. Like you start like, I mean, they're human beings at the end of the day. I know, I know we view them as like elite athletes, right. which they are, but they're humans and people give up, man. So like you can be on a team that doesn't have the resolve. Uh, we talked to uh, Troy Daniels, who was on the Nuggets team that made two, three, one comebacks. Mm-hmm. And he talked about how, you know, Jamal Murray was like, man, I don't want to go home. So we're not right. going home. And he said that was rare. And a lot of people might yep. have otherwise just been like, fuck this, pack it in, dude. We're good. No, there's um, no question. There, there were definitely dudes who, you know, I'm not going to name names, but you could tell they were checked out. They, they, they did not want to be there. And then there are other people who, 
who either did have families and were happy not to be around their family. And there were other people who weren't around their family and missed their family, right? Like it, it was, and we can't just lump it into one thing. Everybody had their own scenario. And to all of that, when you got LeBron James on your team, who's, you know, known for being one of the most driven, disciplined, like hungry players ever. Yeah. I mean, you can't help but think like how big, like obviously it's an advantage having LeBron James on your team, but that is an intangible that I think is an enormous advantage. So no Zach. I mean, everybody publicly knows how big of a family guy LeBron is. And when he says no family, this is, this is it. This is grind time. Yeah. You, be- you better be all in. And no question. I mean, yeah. From that Troy Daniels interview too, he said, it, I mean, it's, it's a boot camp every day with LeBron. I mean, it's yeah, you know, Troy sure knows. Fun because it's fun because he win. You know, yep. it, it's not fun if you're not winning and you're playing with LeBron. That's for sure. But yep. let's stay on Miami a little bit and um, transferring over from the bubble to now. We we've gotten past that point where teams have worked out the early season kinks where all the bad teams can get off the hot starts. You got the Cavs, those type of teams doing really good early. Orlando started hot. Um, Atlanta even was really good. Um, but yeah, I mean, a part of that's because of other teams dealing with injuries and COVID and whatnot, but there's always that early season, um, just guys taking advantage of others because they're just, it's a feeling process. So I think Miami is actually going to be for real when it's all said and done. I don't think it was a bubble thing, even though, yes, I agree with everything you guys said. They were a tight knit group. And I believe they still are though. That's the thing. I just think Jimmy Butler's injuries and. Well, I, think- I don't think, I don't think they're trash. I just think that they are that four or five seed that they were prior to the bubble. If that makes sense. You know, I think they're that good. I don't think they're a finals run type team personally. So you think they're by the end of the season, they're going to be in the playoff picture right now. They're um, yeah. a game and a half out of the eight seed. Um, yeah. They'll be in the playoffs, but they're not getting past Philly. They're not getting past Brooklyn. They're not getting past Milwaukee again. What what seed do you think they'll get? If you already guess. Four, five, six, anywhere between four and six. Jerry? Yeah, I'd probably say about six. Um, You know, the the East is so freaking weird right now where, Mm -hmm. you know, the Wizards who a week ago we were talking about being in contention with Minnesota to be the worst team in basketball are, are now literally, if I do my math correctly, three games in the loss column away from home court advantage in the first round of the playoffs. And unbelievable. Like it's, it's stupid. So it, it's tough to, to look at all this. Um, the, the other part of it, and listen, I know we all kind of know this, but I just want to throw this out there. Every team has dealt with a different level of the health and safety protocol. Um, and I also think that this season, as, as I mentioned at the beginning, like, you know, we're, we're all creatures of habit when we work in sports or the media and we're used to doing things a certain way. And, and this is not to make excuses for anybody because everybody has it this way, but there are certain teams that just have been really thrown out of rhythm and, and quite frankly, haven't had the opportunity for any stretch of time to have their core group on the floor without that getting disrupted or having young players learn how to play with older players. Um, and, and I also think, too, which is going to be really interesting here, we haven't had that many games over the last couple of weeks, aside from, you know, obviously the Spurs and, and Hornets have been affected, but there really haven't been that many games over the last two weeks that have been disrupted. I just hope people value games today and tomorrow as much as they would at the end of the season, because we don't know if everybody's going to be able to play 72 games this year. Like, that's the ideal scenario. That. It doesn't seem likely 
for a team like the Washington Wizards, for example, because they had six games postponed. Will they find a way to make those six games up? I know they've made two of them up, I believe, already in the first half. But like, you can't go into thinking that a game is not important, which is why it pisses me off that, that Brooklyn doesn't take teams that are bad seriously, because that one game could be the difference between you getting the one or the two seed or the four or the five seed. Um, so I, I just want to kind of throw that out there. And, and for just getting back to what you're saying, you know, I, I do think Miami ultimately is a playoff team. And I get back to, to this to say, I, I, I don't believe the Knicks are going to hang around. I don't believe Chicago is going to hang around. Um, you know, and I just think things are going to start to make a lot more sense. Hopefully when we get teams with a longer stretch of everybody playing together, the only problem with that is I have a real fear for what the first two weeks after the All-Star break is going to look like to the NBA schedule. Mm, no, so Washington Wizards, I mean, you set, said it perfectly. I mean, teams got to take every game seriously. Yeah. yeah, I know Russ was out quite a bit, and their roster was in and out with injuries just as much as anybody, but they're 8-8 eight and eight on the season against teams 500 or better. They're 3-9 and nine against teams with sub-500 records. So, what, I mean, that says a lot right there yeah. that Bradley Beal, I mean, wants to play a little more defense when when the lights are on and (laughs) it it says something they're on a five game winning streak right now russ is looking healthy and i'm so happy for that because that guy was getting getting nailed getting drilled every which angle and i I don't want russ to go out like that i think he's still young enough where he should have three or four years left i mean I think the Wizards are going to be right in that eighth. I mean, they're definitely going to be in the play-in game just because how well definitely. they're playing now. I mean, wow. did, you have them, did you have them there before the year like us? And where do you I, see the Wizards finish? I had them competing for a play-in spot, you know, uh, nine or ten. I didn't, I didn't necessarily think they'd be top eight. Um, but I, I don't, you know, again, the Wizards probably weren't as bad as they were at their worst, and they're certainly not five straight wins good, right? Like, they're somewhere... There's somewhere in the middle, probably actually closer to being bad than they are good. Um, but Bradley Beal, I think, is the real deal. And I think that they need to figure out how to play with one another with these young guys who I really love their their young core. And listen, losing Thomas Bryant is going to be massive for them. He actually was having a fantastic season. But Rui, I think, is going to be tremendous. Denny, I think, has shown flashes of being, you know, pretty good. Uh, I, I'm... <laughs> I, I, hate to, I, I hate to throw shade here, but I, the, the Russell Westbrook component to me is just the one that doesn't make sense. And you, you look at last night and you say, what do you have, 30, 31, 32 points? And it's like, oh, yeah, see, he, he helped you beat the Lakers. But that is such a false sense of reality. It's such smoke and mirrors. It's Why do you like, say that? Because none of that ever translate, translates <laughs> to big game postseason success for him. Yeah. Because he doesn't ever take into consideration time score and situation. He just wants to play his way all the time. And because he's so freaking talented, he's going to win regular season games, yeah. but there's a reason why he's never been able to get out of the first round of the playoffs. Yeah, Roosh, I, I agree. I mean, I'm going to run this by you, Roosh. This is the type of play Russ had when he was streaking last year in the middle of the season for the rocks last year, the last five games when they're five and zero, oh, Russ has only shot nine three pointers. Yep. I mean, he was shooting like five six a game before um, this five game stretch here. So that says a lot. It's like, why can't he play like that all the time? Yeah. I'm I'm a Rockets fan, so 
I could talk to you about Russell Westbrook all day. I mean, I, I agree with you, Jared. There's a there's a portion of the internet that hates me for <laughs> for having that opinion. Um, well, I'm with you. The, the Twitter has been all over me for years, and <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm an MVP voter, and I will openly tell you, I did not vote for Russell Westbrook the year he won MVP. Atta boy. I appreciate that. That drove me and many <laughs> many Houstonians crazy. It made absolutely yep. no sense, and it's like a it's it's the most you know goalpost shifting. MVP yep. voting I've ever seen. But yeah, I mean, look, he's not efficient. Um, he's only efficient when he's getting to the basket and finishing, which he's shown that he can do and he can do at a high level, but it doesn't work in the playoffs because they can just, teams can just zone you out of it because he can't shoot yep. reliably enough. Um, so, and the, the biggest thing with him, in my opinion, like often we always focus on offense. He's, he's really poor defensively, cool. not because he's not capable, but just right. because he's not tuned into the, to the team scheme. He's always playing an individual game of defense and he ball watches a lot. Well, well, that's 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 the biggest thing for me, and I could go off on a tangent. I don't mean to eat into your show here, because I know there's a lot of good topics you guys have, and people have sent in a lot of cool questions that I, that I hope we get to. But the biggest thing for me with Russ is number one, I'm on his case so much because I think he is so talented, and he and I think he could be so good. But there are just things that I've heard from players in the locker room with him and seen with my own eyes. That just boggle my mind. And the biggest thing is this. I'm sick and tired of hearing former players tell me, well, look how hard he plays. Congratulations. That's your job to play hard. But second of all, does he really play hard? Does he? Because that's all people want to talk about. Yeah, he plays hard when the ball's in his hands. Yeah, he plays hard when the, when his, when, mm-hmm. when the man he's guarding has the ball. But when he doesn't have the ball on offense, and when he's not guarding the ball on defense, he's got cement bricks tied to his feet. The dude doesn't move unless it's about him. And yeah. that's what bothers me because I think he could be so incredibly impactful on a game, especially yeah. late in games and drive defenses nuts. But he, because he's so predictable, he becomes easy to guard. Well, this is the last thing I'll say before we full on get into Westbrook. Um, Cause I don't want to end up in there, but I will say his athleticism is elite. Right. And it's unfortunate because he would be best served at this stage of his career, mixing in a lot of off ball movement to capitalize yes. on his athleticism instead of just being dominant and on the ball. Like we saw. Like, what, what do you think Kevin Durant thought the year he left OKC to go to Golden State after playing with Westbrook Thank for Jesus all those years? Christ. And then now seeing Steph Curry, who's coming off of winning two MVPs in a row, and Curry runs like freaking Ray Allen around, like, like he's you know, not even an all star. But yet he's a two-time MVP, and he got Russell Westbrook, who won't move. Yeah. Oh, Durant's been chilling for many years, and it's yeah. crazy how good he can just be going seventy percent when he got the. Sorry for taking us there, fellas. I, I just no, you're good. You're good. Chest. I mean, look, I the thing is, I completely agree with you. I've just been roasted by every section of the internet that I just yeah. leave it alone at this point. Like it is what it is. But I do agree with you. I mean, it's, it's it's just crazy, and it really speaks to shooting. I mean, shooting opens the game up, and the reason that you know Russ has these whatever you want to call them, tendencies, issues, whatever. It's because he can't really shoot. If he could, his game would, would be totally different. But that aside, you yep. know, no, well, I was just going to say, the, the one, one final comment I have is <laughs> the funny thing is it's almost like the J.R. Smith thing where, so I, I host a show on NBA TV called Crunch Time. It's like our version of the Red Zone channel. We bounce around from game to game to game on Wednesdays and Fridays. And uh, typically the, the Wizards are usually playing on a Wednesday or Friday. And I love it because we check in on Bradley Beal a lot and see how he's doing. But if we ever do like an early game live look and or I get a highlight from my producer in my ear that we're going to do something real quick on on the Wizards, you almost 
and and and, it's, and you see Russell Westbrook pulling up from three, I almost get into the mindset of the opponent. You want him to make it. You want him to make that first three, just like J.R. Smith, because he is now going to think he is Reggie Miller or he is Steph Curry, and he's just going to keep shooting. And that's and listen, the worst thing that happens. And listen, as a Rockets fan, the inverse of that was right. when he'd do Miss- that and make one, well, he'd make one, and then at, for me, and however many other Rockets fans, I don't know, but at least for me, I would think, oh, damn it, now he's going to keep shooting threes, you know, because he'd make the first one or make one of two, and then he gets confident. And then eventually he shoots one of six or, you know, two of seven right. or whatever. I think he's shooting better this season to his credit, but whatever. All, all that to say, I had Washington winning a playing game. Um, and I, ironically enough, the reason I had them winning a playing game before the season started was because of Russell Westbrook. I figured he would just give them enough of a motor to win out that eighth spot in the East that is typically up for grabs for some, you know, under 500 team. Why not his? And that was kind of my, I mean, obviously on top of everything else, Bradley Beal and everything else. So we'll see what happens. Um, And I was also going to say, as a Rockets fan, you're totally right about COVID, man. Um, The Rockets haven't had Victor Oladipo, uh, Christian Wood, and John Wall play but three games together. They're actually 3-0 and in those games. I think they've only played like 52 minutes together total. So a lot of teams are dealing with it. Miami definitely got hit with it. Um, But Jared, shifting gears, I want to ask you, so far, what's been your biggest surprise? Which team or player uh, or head coach? You know, no, I, I think, <laughs> yeah. Keep her on team for now. Yeah. I, I will say probably my biggest surprise is probably Philadelphia. I don't know if that's taking the easy way out here. I'm trying not to do that. That's why I was thinking about it for so long, but, but just like there has been and, and listen, there still has to be plenty more to do. They're, they mm-hmm. have, and and I've been again speaking of the the Twitter trolls. I, I take the brunt of the whole Philadelphia thing all the time because it, it it bothers me beyond when people say that the process has been completed or the process is over. Like the process is still very much in the process yeah. because the whole goal of the process started because they didn't want to be a first round and out playoff team or a team that just middled, you know, from fourth in the standings to sixth in the standings every year. They, they broke up a team that actually could have done that for many years to come in order to become a team that was a sustained championship contender. Whether you win a championship or not, it was about being realistically a competitor for a championship, and they haven't become that. So they have a lot more to accomplish still to come. But with that said, I have never seen night in and night out Joel Embiid be this determined to be good. I had a conversation in the bubble with a, with a high-ranking member of the Sixers organization who basically laid it out to me that in the past, Joel Embiid would, would be just okay, especially on a night when he knew he was taking on an inferior team, to take off the first half because he could just turn it on and dominate the second half. <laughs> and there were plenty of times where he was right. Embiid could do that. But because, and, and this is me talking, because he was in such bad shape and because he didn't know necessarily how that would play out, there'd be plenty of times where he wouldn't be able to flip the switch or he'd get himself into too big of a hole. Um, I, I just feel like now we're seeing a Joel Embiid who is so locked in. And I don't know. I mean, is he in that much better shape? I don't know. Like we keep on hearing he is and the numbers, the numbers are looking like he is. But for me, the key thing is getting to the playoffs and, and, and his availability, right? Let's face it. He's been treated with 
kid gloves by this organization since he got drafted. And too, too often, they instilled the mindset, not just in Embiid, but in everybody, it's okay, we'll get it tomorrow. Or it's okay, next month is when it counts. Or, you know, it's okay, it's not about this season, it's about two seasons from now. It's finally now about now. And he is proving, to his credit, that it is about now. And he's taking it seriously. And I hope his body's in shape. And, and a lot of times when he missed time in the playoffs the last couple of years, it's either been because of injury or illness. Right. And you can't tell me as a human being that your body not being in the best possible shape has anything to do with, or doesn't have anything to do with, with sickness and illness. Cause it does, right? Like we all know that, like you're more susceptible to getting a common cold. If, 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 if you put yourself in vulnerable situations or you're not in great physical shape, right? That, that's just like, you don't have to be a doctor to figure that out. So I, I feel like he has taken the right steps. We just need to now see it for a long period of time. I think he is in better shape. I just by watching him, I, I can't tell by his body per se, but I think by the way he's running and just being able to go at it at game in, game out, every possession and taking very little time off. Um, the Sixers really haven't surprised me a ton just by being able to space the floor. And Tobias Harris, if there's anybody who surprised me, it's how good he's been. He's been an all-star this season. If there was 15 spots or 17 spots, the dude, I mean, he's right there in the running. I mean, if they had the jazz record, they probably would have three guys in, but they don't. So my big question is, are these guys a true contender or how much are they missing? I'm not to the point where I think they are a true contender yet. I think they're an Eastern conference finals contender. I think, as long as Brooklyn's healthy, they're going to beat them in five or six. I really believe that. My, my, my only problem with that is I feel like the description you just gave, you could easily label on every one of the quote-unquote top teams in the Eastern Conference. Like, we just don't feel great. There's something missing about everyone in the East. There's something that makes you feel a little empty about the Bucks, sure. about the Sixers, uh, about Miami, if you want to throw them in, certainly about Boston, and, and about Brooklyn. I, I mean, listen, it's, it, there's just, there's too much unknown. Should they be? Yes. But are they, I don't know yet. I, I don't know that yet. Well, I will propose this. I mean, is Embiid in better shape? I think absolutely. The answer, the answer to that question has to be absolutely. Um, if you've been watching him, but I think this is one of the rare examples, at least recently of look with NBA narratives. We sometimes romanticize these stupid stereotypes, right? Like, Oh, he just needs the, the right head coach or, you know, like doc rivers, I'm getting to Doc Rivers, but Embiid needs Doc Rivers to, you know, set him right or something like that, right? I would never say, yes, that's the case, but maybe that is the case. Maybe right. he just needed the structure uh, of a coach like, like Doc Rivers, or maybe he just needs a figure that he actually respects. Like Doc well, somebody, somebody made the comment to me the other day, and I hadn't thought about it this way, but it <laughs> makes a lot of sense. As, as much praise as Doc Rivers is getting and will get, particularly if Joel Embiid wins MVP, is going to dissipate in the playoffs. No. How bad do you feel for Brett Brown? Yeah, <laughs> like, right. like this guy, we have not heard a peep from him since yeah. getting let go. And we're not hearing him on TV broadcast. Like it'd be great. I'd love it if he came down to Atlanta and did a, did a broadcast with us on NBA TV or TNT, but haven't heard, haven't heard him in the media. And he was like a media darling when he was a coach of the Sixers, particularly the years that they were tanking. Like I could literally have him on the radio show four days a week that I was doing on Sirius XM at the time. Like he, he was always available. He's um, fantastic. He was great. And he still is. 
And and I don't know that he deserves as much blame as he's going to get, especially if Embiid wins MVP or if the Sixers go to the NBA Finals. But he's certainly gonna he's gonna feel yeah. the brunt of it. Yeah, I mean, I I disagreed with his X's and O's on a lot of things, but obviously he's not a bad coach. This is also though, I mean, it's it's a it's the product of multiple things, right? Like Maury coming in and making the trades he made. I mean, the Al Horford signing was awful. I think everyone awful. agrees to that. Yeah, awful. Even the money aspect of it aside. Even when they made the signing, I just didn't understand the basketball fit. I didn't think there was any right. any basketball fit unless he was going to be like a backup. Um, and so Maury comes in, finally gets them the shooting that they have long desired or, or that they traded away uh, earlier on. They had you know some stretch shooting with with Robert Covington, but they get shooters with Seth Curry and Danny Green, and it's just kind of like the, a bunch of factors coming together. You got a vet like Danny Green, Doc Rivers, a respected vet. Maybe that's the voice that speaks to Embiid, and Brett Brown wasn't you know as intangible as that can be who knows i don't know um sometimes with with guys that do have more immature personalities they they don't respect anyone but the right figure so maybe it was something you know to that effect um but zach i i think they're going to be legit in the playoffs there's they got the seventh best seventh best defense in the league they've got Embiid playing you know at like elijah Wan levels um and ben simmons has even been stepping it up lately to his credit i have long shredded ben simmons for his lack of you know, improvement in his game and not diversifying his game. And I, I've been saying his offensive ceiling has been reached um, because that's what the numbers say, honestly. But in this past week or two, he's had some really big games, even for him. Let me, let um, me give you his last four games. He's averaging 28, 9, 8, and then 1.3 steals while shooting 69, 79.5 uh, from the free throw line. Like, will that continue in the playoffs? We'll have to see. But give him credit for, for playing how he's playing. I think Philadelphia's leg, uh, very legit. I agree. I think they are legit, too. All right. So let's go to next uh, listener question. Um, the, MV, not the MVP. Oh, can James Harden break into the MVP race? Yes. He's in it. He should be in it. I mean. I have him. I just posted my top 10, I think yesterday or a couple days ago i have him seven right now and i have him ahead of kd i mean i think the only argument against him is the lack of games he's played with brooklyn but that's eventually going to add up and if they keep winning at the rate that they're winning i don't see how he's out of it he's going to be averaging i mean kd is out of it solely because of how many games he's missed right and i think harden has outplayed Kyrie and kind of been their engine um i don't have his numbers to someone i'll pull up his numbers but i think it's close to a triple double He's averaging like more rebounds, assists, steals, and threes than KD right now. They're six and three with Harden, five and five um, without Harden. Man, he's got twenty-five a game, eleven dimes, which is higher than when than, than his career high when he almost won MVP the year that Russ won it. Uh, eight boards a game, and he's shooting fifty percent from the field, forty-one from three, uh, eighty-eight from free throw. I mean, that's MVP. Jared. So, okay, so. The the short answer is no, but <laughs> I, I also think too, like I, I have a hard time with all these conversations, particularly like where's the line that we draw when we say the race? Like right. if you want to put them in your top ten, all right, I you know, I haven't done a top I do a top five every week. Yeah. Okay, I, I can see a way you could put them in the top ten, fine. But I do the top five because when we vote, we only get five lines to put. So that's that's kind of in my mind the race. So is he in that in my mind? No. The other problem I have with this and and this is why I can't wait for Kevin Durant to get back on the court with them is because as much 
Oh, let me throw this out there too before I get to that. The other part of it too is there's a psychological component to the voting that you have to take into account the human element here of the voter. Like, as in, as in people being susceptible to narratives. Correct. Ab- yes. Absolutely. But, but I also don't feel like like we got to be careful with that a little bit too. But, but mostly like the dude took the first two months of the season off, right? And I get how great he's playing now, but he he decided not to play the first two months of the season. Right. And that's. I say four games Harden took off, no, think... but, but he wasn't in shape for the first part of it either. I mean, the, those last four games. Yeah. He, he just, he was throwing the ball away and stuff, but what about the, the first, whatever, 10 first games game he played, it came out with a 41 burger. I mean, well, it, it depends. Look, let me, let me ask you this. Where do you, where do you, I mean, when we, when you vote for the MVP, for yeah. the MVP, are you factoring in and considering training camp? No, 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 no. It's just, it's, it's about the complete season. And for me, like go back to last season, for example, that's why I voted for Giannis as opposed to LeBron because Giannis from start to finish was on, was the best player on the best team who I also had for defensive player of the year, right? Like nothing against the guy being second, but LeBron wasn't as good from November through March, whatever we did. Right. And LeBron came on and had a monster last two months of the season, whatever it was. The, the, the most important part, though, that I want to get to about this Harden argument, and I think this is the make or break on whether they win a championship, which ob- obviously not the MVP conversation, but I think you'll see the tie together, is that if the Nets don't recognize internally and externally that Kevin Durant is their best and most important player, they're screwed. He has to be their best player. They have three great players. They have three potential future Hall of Famers. I get it. And I get that they all have different attributes. Kevin Durant is next level good. Well, next I, level I, from Harden. Next level from Kyrie. If, if, if James Harden is the MVP of the Nets, then that means they're not winning at all because Kevin, they're not taking advantage of who Kevin Durant is and can be. So my thoughts, I mean, you look back on history, I, I see this with like, you might disagree and it might be nitpicking, but there's guys like Steve Nash and Amari Stoudemire, Stockton and Malone, where there's certain situations. I mean, I'd have to go back to bring up a lot more, but there's many, many, many situations where there's the most valuable player and then there's always the best player on the team. And they both can coexist. And I, I truly think Harding can be the most valuable player out of this team, but KD will always be the best. But then you can't, mean- you can't, you can't, you, you can't win. An MVP well, of the league if you're not the best player on your team, right? Like I, I, I get your argument. Your argument makes perfect sense for 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 the context of the Nets. But if you're going to be the MVP of the league, you can't be the second best player on your team. That will never happen. Well, I get I get what you're saying, but I'm I'm saying that Kevin Durant simply just missed too many games. No, no uh, uh, that, that, that I totally get that, and that's why he is not in the running for it anymore. I get it. you're right. So would you would that preclude Harden being in your top five? <laughs> I just hope that by the time Durant gets back in the rest of the season, the, the numbers are going to come down for Harden. And yeah, what, what they're going to do is take advantage of Durant's I, greatness. I guess what I'm saying is I, I think they're going to, to your point, kind of in a weird way, because you said they have to recognize that Durant is their best player. I think that they do, and they're being cautious with them and just kind of holding him. Oh, 100%. Okay. You know what I mean? Like putting yeah. him in bubble wrap and just kind of, because yeah. they're winning without him. So, you know, at some point he's going to have to get, he's going to have to play to prove that he's still in shape and, you know, right. yada, yada, yada. But, but I agree with you. I mean, Kevin Durant is what makes them, Harden is what will be good enough to get them to the Western Conference Finals if, even if KD wasn't on the team, in my opinion. Right. Sorry, I'm so trained. The Eastern Conference Finals, I'm so used to 
Harden yeah. on the Rockets. But um, but Kevin Durant is what's good enough to get them into the finals and good enough to win the finals. So I agree with you. Um, who would be your top five if the season ended right now? Mine, just to let you know, yeah. I would. I think it goes to Embiid yeah. right now. Yeah, so I, I for the first time this week, I changed my number one spot from LeBron to Embiid. So I went Embiid, LeBron, Lillard. It's hard to pick someone over Harden, honestly. I mean, no, I have Kawhi. My, my top three. You? you have Kawhi? My top three was Embiid, LeBron. Um, I got Jokic at two. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Uh, did I, pick- I got Jokic at two. At two? Yep, I got Embiid, Jokic, uh, LeBron at three, Dame, and Giannis. I mean, look, at the end of the day, the record has to matter and the ranking has to matter, which was my biggest beef right. with. That's- Jared, real quick to that effect, since you're a voter, if James Harden, let's just say James Harden goes on and wins it all, uh, whatever, w- wins the MVP, you know, finishes the season with, with these numbers on extreme efficiency, Katie's missed a lot of games, so he's not in contention for the award by technicality. Uh, Harden wins it. Does Houston get any claim to that MVP? Oh, my God. This fucking guy. I was just curious. I mean, like, how would that break down? I don't know. By rule. Oh, my goodness. Um, No comment. Yeah. I I, I think we, it's, wait, what date is it? Uh, Today is February 23rd. I am contractually not allowed to talk about the Houston Rockets past this date. There we go. (laughs) On to an award that might include the Houston Rockets. Might. Um, Andy Roth, AR Hoop Talk, Andy Roth. The most competitive award right now is the most improved player of the year, which is my favorite award every year. I just love watching people grow up and yep. improve. Um, who do you got there right now? Give me so, so funny. I have guys there. I have all these like note cards all around my desk here, which I like prepare for like shows and stuff. I, I literally... <laughs> Literally have note cards like all over the place. I keep notes. I, I swear to you, I started keeping this list the other day. So when I saw that on Twitter, I was like, nice. I finally have some place to talk about this. So I agree. I think it is the most competitive, most improved. I came up right off the top of my head when I did this the other day with nine guys. I nine guys. You have 15. Wow. <laughs> I, I tried to be a little slimmer with that. Now, I won't uh, touch on them all. All right, you want me to just rattle them off here? Yeah, go for it. I have one rule with most improved. No second-year players. After last year, I mean, this is the only thing I'm going to say to that. Luca was a historical all-time God-level jump. Right. That's the only time somebody should have ever won in their second year. And because he did it, I vow down to your rule right now, right. and I'll never touch on a second-year guy. There's not a second-year player in my top 15 ever again. All right, so here, no particular order. Here's my nine guys, and then I'll, I'll, I'll start to get rid of some guys here quickly from the nine. But here are the nine. Jeremy Grant, Christian Wood, Julius Randle, Colin Sexton, OG Ananobi, Jordan Clarkson, Nick Batum, Mikhail Bridges, and Gary Trent Jr. Nicholas Batum. There's the sleeper of the bunch. I love it. I don't, lo- I don't love him on this list. but <laughs> No, but I love um, the- I, I think... Christian Woods games, you know, games played are going to hurt him yep. in this whole thing, right? Obviously yep. got off to the monster start. Um, he's six for me. OG, you know, he's got to play some more games. I, mean, I don't know if people were paying attention to this. Before OG got hurt, 
he was on such a freaking tear on both sides of the ball. It was unbelievable. Um, Sexton's obviously cooled down substantially since that hot start he got off to and the Cavs suck. Now. I would say, I would say, you know, it's going to come down in my mind to, in my mind, it's, it's going to ultimately come down to Jeremy Grant and Julius Randle. I think that's, those are the top two, right? Nobody yeah. disagrees with that. There, there's, yeah. there's no, now, can that change over the second half of the season? Yeah, but th- those are the two. And then, you know, I love, you know, throwing in Gary Trent Jr. and Mikhail Bridges, I think. Uh, and, then, and then Jordan Clarkson one is going to be interesting too, because I don't know that Clarkson's minutes are, are that different than, than in the past. Yeah, Zach, I don't know if you remember. I had um, I had Gary Trent Jr. before the season, and I remember you. I do remember scoffing at that, being like, "What?" Um, I, I agree with you, man. I think I think it's going to come come down to Julius Randle and Jeremy Grant, and I think I'm leaning based on the production up to this point, assuming you know it remains somewhat constant and static at least. Um, I think it's Jeremy Grant's to lose. I think the leap that he made was was more significant. Julius Randle's playing at elite basketball. I think. Uh, Zach, you told me the numbers that he's averaging have only been done by Larry Bird in the past, which is incredible. Yeah. Um, but I mean, Jeremy Grant's just taken such a leap. And frankly, maybe I'm biased because I didn't think he had this big of a leap in him. Um, so I've been surprised. And for that reason, I would go with him. But it's Jeremy Grant, in my opinion. You so talk far. about narrative before. It's so funny with Julius Randle, right? On one hand, it's going to be held against him because we out of college expected this out of him. Right. And then on the other hand, the other side of the argument is going to be, well, he was so bad for his first what four or five years in the league. Look how great he is now, right? right? Like we're going to get both sides of those arguments, which is going to be and they're both to watch on him. Twitter. Yeah, I don't know about you guys, but I hate the term "expected." Okay, a, a jump is a jump. the The award isn't biggest surprise. You know, it's most improved. There's no like asterisk by it or any caveat like that. Um, it's just who's taken the biggest jump, who's got, who gained the most in their game. And I mean, to me, it can be a guy like Jalen Brown, Nikola Jokic, and it can be a guy that's not really, um, really improving their skill set, but improving like just because of their role. I mean, just getting more minutes. Well, that's, but, that, but that's the yearly argument of, is it opportunity or yeah. is it improvement? It can be both. But I think the people who are going to, you know, we're going to hear these Nick fans who are going to come out of the woodwork for Julius Randle on this award and don't even know what team Jeremy Grant is, is on, but they're ultimately going to make the argument that, um, you know, it's, it's only because Jeremy Grant went to a terrible team and he went from being the fifth option on the Nuggets to being the first option on the bad Pistons to why he's doing this, right? And right. I'm not saying I agree with that argument. I'm just saying that's going to be the argument. So I agree, Jeremy Grant, he's number one, um, like, far and beyond right now, but... Well, I disagree. I, I, I would go, right now, I'd go Randall 1 Grant, too. Oh, um, I, I would. Okay. But I, I don't have an, I don't hate anybody who says Grant. I, I would go so far as to say, if the Knicks were, I think they're the seventh seed right now, if they were, like, solidly locked in at a six or maybe even a five, you could, you could put a sleeper, like, not top five, but maybe a top ten MVP name for Julius Randall. Just for fun, uh, I guess. The whole time, going back to the start of the, sh- the conversation that we were having, the whole time with saying any of that this particular year is that you're literally a two-game losing streak away from uh, going from the seventh seed to the thirteenth seed. You're a two-game <laughs> winning streak from going from the seventh seed to the fourth seed. Like it's it's ridiculous. 
It's been like got, that in the Western Conference for for a few years. Yeah, you're right. But Zach, I got Shea Gilgis Alexander at number five. I had him before the year as my guy to win it. Uh, I just think a lot of it for him is the role. Uh, he, I've expected this out of him forever, and I thought he'd do this, but. Um, they're actually, they, I mean, they've been hanging around and really competitive in a lot of games for how shitty that roster is. Uh, one thing I want to run by you guys is a guy like Nikola Jokic though. I mean, you brought up Nick Batum. Yeah. Think about Jokic here. I mean, a lot of it's mindset. He's changed his mindset from a pass first player to I'm going to be a killer at scoring. I mean, he's went up seven points per game. His three point percentage is up nine right now, almost 10 percentage points uh rebounds are up two from last year he's averaging a career high in assists i think you can be in the mvp race and the most improved i really believe that but yeah well the the year that curry won his second mvp i gave some long thoughts spent a lot of a lot of time at this desk looking over numbers and giving some hard thought talking to a lot of people about put curry as most improved i really feel like in Maybe it's some recency bias here, but I feel like that Curry second MVP year was the first time we ever had that conversation about an elite player who wasn't injured or who wasn't quote unquote bad the year before winning most valuable, most, most improved player. I, I feel like that's the first time I remembered that conversation ever happening. And then we tried to apply it last year to Luca, who was in the MVP conversation for a while to most improved player as well. Um, yeah, I, I think you you absolutely, and you know, for that matter, if, if we're going to put Jokic in the conversation, why wouldn't we put Embiid in the conversation? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Embiid's production has has jumped. I think the biggest stat, though, for for Jokic, to go back to your original point about Jokic about becoming a killer, is that he's gone from taking less than fifteen shots a game to taking eighteen shots a game. That's the biggest yeah. thing. He, he's that's the mindset that he needs to have. Like, you know, good on him for for having all these assists and stuff, but but he is the most difficult player potentially in the NBA to guard. And I get a lot of that has to do with his passing ability. That will always be a threat, but he's got to take advantage of defenses being vulnerable. And that's more times than not. When, when you're playing the nuggets, you are vulnerable. Zach, any other names for most improved? Uh, I mean, we mentioned basically most of them. I'm not going to go through everyone. Um, the only other like, guy I really want to throw out there, though, uh, I'll go Fred Van Vliet. I'll give him a shout out. I think uh, he's becoming more and more of like a second option type guy versus a third or fourth. I, 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 I disagree with putting Van Vliet in this conversation, but if I am going to make the argument, I'm going to say he's going from a second to third option to a first option. I, I think there are most okay. nights he is there most important offensive player because of how inconsistent Siakam is. Love it. So I wanted to talk about Jared, um, the Utah jazz, the Utah jazz are number one in the West. Uh, I think they're 25 and six. Yeah. They're 25 and six, three and a half games up on number two, the Clippers and the Lakers tied. Um, but more importantly, they're four games up in the L column on both of those teams. They're, they're slowly starting to kind of break away from the pack. Now, we've seen this before where teams like the Jazz that are very well-rounded, not great necessarily individually, but just very you know solid across the board, well-coached, fundamental, all that kind of stuff, and that have good, really good chemistry, uh, like the Hawks from a few years ago um, that won you know, 60 games in the regular season and then got swept in the conference finals. 
What do you think about these Jazz? You know, where are you at with them? I I love them for now. Um, I think the the biggest question that I think you're getting at here and that we all have is, do they have a guy on their roster that in a playoff game and then a series and then multiple series has that takeover ability night in and night out, especially when the defense is focused in on them? Um, I say yes. I just don't yeah. think they have the number two or three guy they need. I mean, look, Donovan Mitchell can be that guy. I think he's proven and, and he showed he showed in that Denver series how good he can be, yeah. right? Um, and I think this year we've seen Donovan Mitchell be a smarter basketball player. I think we've seen him play a lot better with the ball in and out of his hands. Um, and I think I think Conley's been a lot better, and I think Jordan Clarkson's been been sensational. And I think they have two incredible. Um, perimeter threats in Bogdanovich and Ingles. People forget um, Bogdanovich got hurt before the playoffs last season. Yeah, and he, he was a huge miss for them. Um, yeah. And, you know, speaking about a team that likes each other, like, it's really weird because we had this whole thing last March with, with Rudy and Donovan right. Mitchell. And I don't know exactly where, where that is right now. You know, they say it's all good. I, I don't need to overanalyze that. But I can tell you from being in the bubble, the rest of the team, they, they like each other. Um, or at least they respect each other for being around each other. I, I know there have been times that other stuff has crept up in, in that locker room, but I think for the most part, there are a bunch of guys, especially with Ingles being the, the joker that he is um, and the sarcastic guy that he is, he keeps things light. I don't know that everybody understands that because sometimes there's, I think, international um, lost in translation things with all the different <laughs> languages and, and cultures that they have in that locker room. But I think for the most part, they like each other uh, or, or respect each other. Um, and when Bogdanovich was not there, I don't know if you guys heard this story. I did this on TNT during, during the playoffs last year. Um, they, because Bogdanovich couldn't even travel with them to the bubble, they took a picture of Bogdanovich. And because they had their own floor in the hotel room, like each team had their own floor, so the elevator bank, you know, when the, the elevator doors open and close, yep. it was a massive picture of Bogdanovich's face. Hell yeah. Yeah. So that, that's, awesome. that's a cool story from the bubble that, that, that the Jazz did to make, to make him feel like he was there or make them feel like he was there, right? Like it was, right. A, it was a cool little thing that they did, which, which really signaled to me, like, if, if, if that's a dude who people are like, ah, he's a jerk, like, you're not doing that. You're not going out of your way to do that for him. Um, right. And I also think, too, what we're going to start to see uh, and hear, speaking of narrative, Quinn Snyder's a freaking genius. Oh, and, top, top three. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, I wonder with the um, lack of success that Boston's having and the amount of success that Utah's having, if that boy genius title is going to be stripped of Brad Stevens and mm. replaced by Quinn Snyder. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy how Utah took – Utah's had, like, the same culture and the same vibe since I've been alive pretty much, um, you know. Like the, the Stockton Malone jazz almost never died. It just felt like, cause then it went to uh, Darren Williams and Carlos Boozer. Now it's, you know, Gobert and Donovan Mitchell, obviously stylistically different, but just that same, you know, you know what you're getting with the Utah jazz year in and year out. Sometimes they overperform. Rarely do they underperform their sound defensively. You know, Jerry Sloan has been, the, the torch has been handed to Quinn Snyder. So they've just been solidly good for this long. Um, but in the playoffs, I do think that ultimately the game, the NBA game is a game where you have elite talent and elite talent ultimately wins out when you have enough of it. 
over the types of teams that do things, you know, well. Um, and I'm a fan of a team that was sweating bullets against Quinn Snyder. So I know what he's, you know, capable of in the playoffs in terms of adjustments and X's and O's. You say you were sweating bullets? Man, those games, people forget, like the Rockets gentlemanly swept the Jazz. Man, time. I was never worried for the Rockets against those guys. Look, go back and go run never. some of those games back. Go run some of those games back, though. The one, I think they won the series on it or they went up 3-1 on it um, the second year in 2019. Uh, they had like two or three wide open three-point looks. I think Rubio either airballed one or just totally bricked it um, down the stretch. They could have won any of those games. Uh, Chris Paul had to go Super Saiyan to close them out in five in 2018. Otherwise, I was going back to Utah 3-2. Like those, those teams are – you don't blow them out. You might get one or two in the series, but ultimately – I was going to close by saying I don't see them ultimately getting past LeBron James, though. So I do see them as the deepest Jazz team in I don't know how long. I like their bench. I mean, George's Niang just went 7-for-7 seven seven last night. Jordan Clarkson leveling up to be a six-man-of-the-year type guy. I just think maybe strength and numbers can get these guys where they want to go. Who knows? But they're going to need to maybe be that right explains. Out. Maybe that explains why Georges Niang got multiple all-star votes by his peers. Oh, players. shit. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't see that one. All right. It's, it's, you... it's, my, it's my favorite thing to do every year yeah. when they release the voting results. I go through and make a list of the most ridiculous guys right. to get votes by the players. Um, most ridiculous list. Uh, Mafandu Cabin Jelly. And by the way, <laughs> oh, I only count I only count uh, guys who got more than one vote because okay. I I totally understand that some dudes have to vote for themselves. So this is players voting for players. Okay. Is and they're hijacking? not testing for weed this year. Remember that. Right. Right. Correct. Is this hijacking your podcast? I don't mean to do that. It's just my favorite. No, no. Bring it. Go for it. We love it, dude. That's what we do. Uh, I think it's Mafandu, right? Cabin Jelly. Is it? Is it? Yeah, that's fair. Uh, he received a couple of votes. Um, what team, and I need help with this, what team is Robert Woodard on? God damn it. I know the answer now, by the way, but. I don't. Uh, gonna, he sounds like a Boston Celtic. No. no he's, I know that's a f- not. Mm, the fact of the matter is that we're talking yeah, who to is two it? guys who, who host an NBA podcast. Oh, the Kings. The right. Kings. He's on the Kings. And, I, and I, I, I live and breathe and sleep the NBA nonstop. And I, I've never heard of Robert Woodard. Um, two people, two NBA players this year voted for him for the All-Star team. I knew, I know who he is. I just forgot what team he is. Um, here's a trivia question for you. Easy one. How many games has Jaron Jackson Jr. played? And do you think he got more or less than that number in All-Star votes by players? I think he zero got games. More. I think he got more. Yeah. He's played in zero games this year. Five NBA players thought Jaron Jackson Jr. was worthy of an All-Star vote to start yeah. in the All-Star game. Where does his data come from? Uh, the NBA releases it. Yeah. They release it? Okay. okay. Yeah. So here, I got a couple more for you. Uh, Xavier Tillman received four votes by players to start in the All-Star game. I mean, maybe Jaylen, they the rising stars. Jalen Adams received five votes from fellow players to start in the NBA All-Star game. He's wow. probably pushing 10 minutes total this year. Sekou Demboya probably, hey. probably voted for himself. And then two other players, <laughs> two other players decided he's worthy of starting. I still Otto, believe in you, Seku. Otto Porter got two votes. Precious Achua got three votes. Blake Griffin. Blake Griffin Gosh. got five votes from NBA players to start in the All-Star game this year. Zaza still getting voted in. At least, at least the Zaya, Zaza thing happened because the country of Jordan yeah. 
uh, the country of Georgia voted for him. That was a fan vote. That was a fan thing. These are NBA players who bitch and moan about how the media votes for all-star games and postseason awards. And yet they think that TJ McConnell is worthy of four votes to start in the all-star game. Well, maybe, you know, maybe he's the Pacers MVP. Maybe they know that he's the engine of that backup <laughs> unit. <laughs> nah. Um, Zach, Jazz, what do you think? Hot flop in the, in the playoffs. Are you, are, you, are you buying or are you selling on the Jazz? I will say this till eternity until I see them competing in a six, seven game second round series with this squad. I will never believe in them till that moment. Even if they are 10 games up on everybody in the regular season, I need to see more than Donovan Mitchell perform in the playoffs and being able to compete with the LA teams. I just think there's that big of a gap and even Denver, I believe in it a little more. All right, uh, Jared, we have another fan question I want to get to. Real um, real quick, who do you guys think has a better shot of getting further in the playoffs right now, Phoenix or Utah? Phoenix. Utah. Wow. Utah. I, I, like, I like Phoenix a lot. I like them both here, here, a lot. but two, two, things, two things lead me to answer Utah. Number one, I firmly believe in the NBA there is an advantage to having a bad taste in your mouth from previous years with that same group. Like Utah blowing a 3-1 lead to Denver is probably as much of a reason why they lead the league in wins this year as anything else, right? Like they are so motivated. Look, look through history. Like look how the Warriors run began. Mark Jackson's last year, disappointing loss in the playoffs. Uh, look, at, look at even Kobe airball, right, early in his career uh, in Utah. Um, you know, just things like that. Uh, you look at the Spurs, the way they lost to Ray Allen and the Heat, what that did that next year. I'm not predicting Utah to win a championship. I'm just saying they will go further than Phoenix because Phoenix has too many young players. Like, as much as we think of Chris Paul, Devin Booker's never been there. Never been there. And particularly, like, what he did in the bubble was such a different environment than what he probably will face this year in the playoffs, particularly now that most teams are getting fans in the stands and travel and all that. And Bridges has never been there. Aiton's never been there. Uh, Cam Johnson's never been there. Yeah, there, there's only so much that these young players will have. I, that's why I think Utah easily will be will go further I'll, in the playoffs than Phoenix. I'll peel. I'll peel back what I said, and I'll modify. <laughs> I'll modify with this, and also just logistically. Yeah. As of right now, they're the one seed, so they're going to have an easier path on paper, at least. Um, they, might, they might actually meet in the second round. But I was oh. going to say real oh. quick. I was going to say I think Phoenix's potential is higher. Um, like they could catch fire if the Chris Paul effect actually works and, and radiates to the other teammates um, in the postseason. And Devin Booker is the truth. Cause you're right. We still don't know. Um, and they also have Jay Crowder. Jay Crowder has been there as well. So they have like the backbone. Um, but I think their, their ceiling is higher. Like if they, if they achieve max potential in the playoffs, you know, they could go higher, but I, I think you're right. Utah is a better bet. What were you going to say, Zach? Yeah, so two options here. Instead of going into some of these listener questions, we could finish. Sean's just from the West. I know you have tweeted out your reserve picks, Jared, so you can kind of tell me what your thoughts are here. Let's start in the West. We got Chris Paul, Paul George, Damian Lillard, Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, Zion Williamson, and Anthony Davis are the reserves. 
And now keep in mind the West, and this is what I was thinking about doing when I released mine. We all know Anthony Davis is not going to play in the All-Star game. So do you put Anthony Davis in there? He, he, he's earned the honor. Let him get that spot. And then now you got to think about who's the next guy. So I would imagine based on this, Devin Booker is going to be an All-Star based on this list mm. right here. And it, would he be the only one you'd replace off that list? Yeah, this is, uh, I think this is exactly what I, uh, no, I did, I did not have Chris Paul. Same. Um, that's interesting. You know, that, this is where the voting is weird. Like, you're telling me you think Devin, Chris Paul is more deserving of an all-star bid than Devin Booker? Like, th- th- this to me it's is a close. lifetime achievement award. Chris Paul's had a great year, and he certainly is deserving of it. Um, but I don't know. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a reputation award, right. sounds like, you know? Right. I guess I had, the only difference in mine was I had Booker instead of Chris Paul. What about Zion? Yeah, I had Zion. I, I did too. Uh, for me, to replace Anthony Davis, I'd probably give it to DeMar DeRozan, um, no. to be honest. Mm, but is, Here's the thing about DeRozan, and, and this happens every year with, with so many guys. If his name was not DeMar DeRozan, and I gave you his numbers on that team, would you think that's all-star numbers? No. You're, you're thinking DeMar DeRozan's been an all-star. He should be an all-star. Like, that's, that's what seeps into your mind. I'm a psychologist. I think I'm sorry. I need a psychologist. Sorry. Uh, there we go. Uh, I think the only player I might have in, on this list, I, I just don't know who I'd replace, though, is the problem. Um, but one player I think that could contend for the list is uh, Shea Gilgis. Shea Gilgis. No way. Yeah. That, nah. no he, you got to earn it. it yeah. His time isn't now. I mean, the East, number- I think, is more compelling. Let's go to the East because I think All that's right. way more compelling about who got. It, it is here. no, it was there was like a twenty-person list that I could almost accept. So from the East, James Harden, Julius Randle, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Zach Levine, baby, yep. Ben Simmons, and Nikola Vucevic. Okay. So happy for Zach. That was the big debate there, and uh, I'm with you. I had Zach in there. I, I know you did. The biggest surprise for me uh, right off the bat is Ben Simmons and Vucevic. Uh, both are deserving, but I did not have Ben Simmons in. I had DeMontis Sabonis over him. I did too. I, I had Sabonis over Simmons. I think this is, this is going to be the factor of Philadelphia is in first place. I got to put two guys on my ballot from Philadelphia. But I also think the other part of it is I think there's a lot of people right now that feel like they're going to vote for Ben Simmons for defensive player of the year, or at least in the top two of that conversation. I'm not saying whether I agree with that at this point, but that's, I think the thinking. And I think that they wanted to give that some weight. Um, But I think the biggest snub from this list is Chris Middleton. Mm, Um, And, and name, right. What's that? Is it just because of his name? I think it's because the bucks are not in first place. And I think maybe Middleton got rewarded the last couple of years because the Bucks were in first place and they needed to have two All-Stars, but now that they're not. And, and the crazy part is it, it, it sucks to look at All-Stars and say they're having a better year than they had because it's all relative to what their peers are doing this particular year. But like Middleton... 50-40-90. 50-40-90. And Almost. Is, is, does he still lead the team in assists? I think he, he still leads the Bucks in assists, he, right? He's definitely having the best season of his career in terms of playmaking. Right. I think he's got like just under six a game. Let me right. see. Um, the one, so... so 5.7. The, the two differences I had on this list was I had Sabonis for Simmons 
And I had Middleton for Jalen Brown. I left Jalen Brown off. Um, particularly, you know, I don't know if we're going to go, if we're going to go with the whole thing that the Sixers deserve two because they're in first place, then do the Celtics deserve two uh, being in sixth place? So and three and seven in their last 10. Right. Okay. To kind of bolster your argument, it would make more sense to split that up and give Indiana one because I think they're number four. So, right. And, and Sabonis has been playing out of his mind. So, I, I mean, I think you can go either way. I'm kind of offended at how quickly you both dismissed SGA. I would propose, I'll you probably vehemently disagree with all of this, but 13. I mean, look, man, numbers wise and record wise, he's not too, I mean, he's not more deserving than. Is he but top 10 not, in any category? He's also not too far off from Zion. I don't think so. But he is shooting 50 and 40. Let's see. I mean, 23 and almost seven a game. I mean, better than two to one. Him and De'Aaron Fox are kind of splitting hairs there. Yeah, but that, that right. That, that's a case, right? If, if I was going to put a guy from a bad team on there, I'd put De'Aaron Fox, and, and I don't think Fox deserves it. Fair enough. I'm not going to go to bat for SGA. Yeah. Uh, but, I, but I think the, I think the East. This uh, time's coming real soon. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I think the East is a little more up for grabs. I mean, there's just a lot of good talent individually. Um, I'm glad Levine got it, though. I feel like Levine's been getting disrespected, but his, first of all, his game is just ridiculous. It's so smooth, and, and he's been so confident in himself. Um, and just in terms of the numbers, like, they're, they're also off the charts. So I'm Yeah, I, I feel it. like we, you know, and, and this is a conversation that they'll have here, I'm sure, on TNT once, once they get on and, and release these officially. But, like, there's the argument, I think, we, we, too many people, as you guys know, don't watch enough of the games. And they either look at the stats and they look at them in two different ways. They look at the stats and they're like, oh, he's on a bad team. Those are empty numbers. Or they look at the stats and they're like, oh, my God, how do you not have this guy? He's number two in the league in scoring. He's number three in the league in assists. He's got to be there, right? Like, as opposed to looking at Bradley Beal and Zach Levine, two guys on terrible basketball teams, even though the Bulls are probably overachieving, but they're still a bad basketball team. And, and watch their impact each night. Like, every time the Bulls win, Zach Levine has something to do with it, right? Even mm-hmm. games that they lose, it's, it's generally not his fault, right? And I don't, I don't mean to be like a Zach Levine apologist here, but like I'm Zach just- Levine is not putting up empty numbers. The other guy I want to throw out here, which I've always, I, I came to a realization a, a couple of years ago with this whole all-star team when I was getting in this massive argument with one of my buddies or on TV or something doing about this. And, and it just hit me like, dude, relax. This is really, it's the fans game. It's, it's, it's an all-star weekend where it's supposed to be celebrating the game where the fans get the people they want to play to, to they, they want to watch to play on the court together for one time a year. And I think that that's what kind of chilled me out about it. With that being said, I think that costs a lot of really good players, the opportunity to go to that game. And a guy that I'm surprised made it here is Vooch because Again, watching games this year, he's he's a freaking beast, and Incredible. I I almost feel bad for him that he's on the Magic at this point. Like I almost right, I do feel bad for him. <laughs> right, exactly. Terrible. What, wondering like what he would be. I was having this conversation with somebody who's a, a a Celtics apologist the other day. Celtics apologist, and I was going over my All Star picks. And I said I was going to pick Vooch, and he's like, well, where's Jalen Brown? I go, bro, have you watched Vooch? And he goes, those are empty numbers. The Magic suck. And I said to him, if the Celtic, if, if he gets traded to the Celtics, you will be tweeting every night that Vooch needs to be an all-NBA player. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, 
Come on. Dude's so averaging he's, 24 and 11. He, right. This is career high by five points per game, and he's been an all-star twice. Right. He's not sexy. He's not going to have these crazy dunks or these crazy plays in the all-star game that's going to make people buy his jersey, but he deserves it, and I'm really happy for him. Yeah, and he's, I mean, it's, high, it's funny like how him and Sabonis, it's almost like you feel, you feel like they had to pick one. You know, right. one of the yeah. one of the tall, right, all around playmaking shooting. But it's league. like they're tied with Boston, and I think Sabonis is just as valuable and as good as Jalen Brown, if not better. Um, Jalen Brown has only been this good for this season. Right, like, and Jalen and and Jalen Brown, as good as he has been, and again, first. it should just be about this season. But as good as he has been, he's still the second guy of that team. Sabonis, I don't want to hear. Listen, I love Malcolm Brogdon. Yeah. But Sabonis is the best player on that team. Yeah. I'm with you. And it's, it's not even close. I mean, the, to have a big man averaging six assists like that, uh, very few have ever done that. So, Zach, I have something I want to touch on unless you want yeah. to go for it. No, we got a couple uh, more minutes here. Yeah, we got a couple more minutes before we wrap this up. I want to ask, uh, I feel like, I feel like Mil- and maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like Milwaukee's been going under the radar a little bit. Um, I think they lost like five in a row. Right when uh, drew went out um but they i think that the the changes they made at least in terms of basketball their record hasn't reflected it yet but in terms of substantive basketball i think they did get better equipped for the playoffs um but they're kind of under the radar right now how do you think the top of the east is going to play out because it's really only in my opinion it's only going to come down to philly brooklyn and milwaukee and maybe boston if they get legitimately healthy and can can peak at the right time but how do you see the top of the East shaking out? Yeah, I actually, I really agree with you. I think that, that Milwaukee kind of learned from the last two years that um, trying to set the record for wins in the regular season doesn't win you anything in the playoffs. And while you should try and develop the right habits and learn how to win, what Milwaukee was doing, and I had a conversation with, with someone on the Milwaukee coaching staff about this last year, it almost hurt them that Milwaukee was blowing out their opponents at the rate that they were the last two years. Because what was happening was, um, like their, their margin of victory last year was almost historic. And they had, over the last two years, they've had the most 20-point wins. They've had the most double-digit wins. And then they go into the playoffs, and rarely do you get a you know, blowout in the playoffs. And, or, or even, you know, whatever. It, you get a close game. You got to learn how to win those. And even though it's great that you've won, you know, 57, 58, 59 games, if you don't have experience in, um, you know, nut crunching time, then you don't know what your weaknesses and when your strengths are. And I also think, too, the, the, the minutes for, Gian, for Giannis, um, like he was on the court the other night. They were blowing somebody out and he was still on the court. And I was like, hmm, it's good. Like he, he needs to get those. He needs to get that experience of closing out a game, even, even, even in a blowout. Uh, yeah. finishing off games, getting those extra minutes. So, yeah, I, I think that they are. Their record's not going to reflect it, but I think Milwaukee is better equipped for a playoff series this year than they have been the last two years. Completely agree. Yeah. I'm not worried about them for a minute. Uh, the crazy thing is, though, I, I think you kind of alluded to this, but they've kind of just relaxed a little bit. I mean, they've been a top defense the last few years, and they're average right now. They're like 10 or 12, wherever you want to throw them. Uh, but I just think they are better equipped to play a better defense and make winning plays when it matters down the clutch where they've struggled in the past. And, and keep in mind that five game losing streak coincided with Drew Holiday missing all those games. That's what I said. Yeah. Wasn't they, 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 they lost five when Drew went out and he's, he's right. still been out. 
Right. Um, before that, they were, I don't know, 18 or something in eight. I can't, 18, whatever. Yeah. They were good. Um, so, and they're still, look, they went on the five game skid. I think they've lost even more than that a little bit, not in a row, but just overall. Um, and they're still number three and they're right in the hunt for number one. So they're going to be fine. Who, you know, the way that, from what we've seen basketball wise so far, assuming full health, how do you see the East shaking out though, out of those three, maybe four? I think it'll probably it'll probably be Philly one, um, Brooklyn two, Milwaukee three. I mean, probably just in the regular season that that's the way it'll fall. Um, I'm saying, then, who's your yeah, who's your horse coming out? Uh, I'd love to, you know, I'd love to see Philly, Philly, Brooklyn in in the East Finals, okay. um, and then I I'd, I'd lean towards Brooklyn. You know, they they should win. That that's that's who should win. You know, yeah. so now 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 it's on them. The expectations. They've heard it from me. They got to go win. <laughs> cool. Shut up. Oh, real quick. I, I wanted to ask this question, by the way. We have a couple real quick. Just uh, a fan asked this. Uh, they asked, what is more important in the NBA? Someone who guards 40 possessions or someone who is efficient with their defensive possessions? Interesting question, I thought. What do you think, Jared? It is interesting. Efficient in their possessions. Yeah, I would say efficient. Efficient? Okay. Yeah. Instead of a workhorse defender? So like we're talking maybe like a, you know maybe like a Trevor Ariza versus like a lockdown specialist. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I I also think too per per team. Like I know Mike Michael Malone told me this a couple of years ago. Like he hates guys. He hates looking at steals. You know he thinks that like guys who come up with a lot of steals are often labeled as great defenders. But like with the defensive scheme, he likes to play with his teams. The, the stuff steal. you do defensively doesn't show up. It's like a cornerback. Right. I mean, if you're locking your guy down, right. you're not throwing your way, you know? Right. I, exactly. I hate defensive stats. They, they yeah. are not accurate at all, in my opinion. And I, and I also think, too, like last thing, blocks per game, you, you get, <laughs> even, if you, even if you lead the world and set a record and have five blocks per game, that's five out of 80 possessions. That's not, that's not a lot. So a guy who has like one and a half blocks per game doesn't mean he's a great rim protector. That's he true. Blocked I mean, one shot, he blocked one shot out of 100 possessions. So this is about to expire. I want to get it in. Uh, it does potentially suggest that he blocks that many and alters even you know more. But I, I feel what you're right. saying. Yes. It's not it's not perfectly indicative. But Jared, we had a ton of fun, man. This thing's yeah, about this to awesome, guys. bomb on us, man. We'll do it again. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Anytime. Thank you, guys. Great, great seeing you, Jared. Take Appreciate care, you guys. Man. Appreciate yeah. you guys. Thank you so much. Likewise. Thank you, sir.